I invite you to take your Bibles and join me as we turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15. Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, chapter 1, beginning at verse 15, where the Apostle Paul writes, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope that he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power? God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for this privilege now of studying it together. And God, as I stand before these, your people, this is your church. I pray that this would be your message and not my own. Through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Over the last several weeks, we have been looking at epiphanies in the scripture. An epiphany, it means a manifestation of God. God making himself known to us. God revealing himself to us. We watched how he did this with the wise men. Or when God did this to a wedding or at a wedding with Jesus turning water to wine. We watched as he called Moses out of a burning bush or spoke to the Apostle Paul through a blinding light to disciples who were walking down the road to Emmaus in the book of Revelation. We've seen the epiphanies of others, but epiphanies are not limited to the Bible. They're not limited to Bible stories. God still desires to make himself known, and God desires to make himself known to you and to me, to us. People today in our world today, God is not a God that simply existed in biblical times, but our God is at work, active in our world and in our lives today, and God desperately desires to reveal himself to you and to me for us to experience an epiphany, a manifestation of God, an encounter with God, a, a revelation from God. Paul is writing here to the church at Ephesus. And the, Ephesus is the capital of the Roman province of Asia. And it was a place of busy commerce and it becomes a religious center as well. Now, Paul did not start the church at Ephesus, but he loved it. He writes to it. He shares in Ephesians 1 verse 15, I have heard of your faith 
in the Lord Jesus and your love toward the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I've heard about your faith. I'm amazed at what you're doing. Ephesus then becomes this great missionary hub or center of the church. It's one of the churches that are listed in the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. Paul, as he writes this letter, appears to be in prison. If you turn over to Ephesians 6, verse 20, he talks about being an ambassador in chains. He's in prison as he writes this letter to the church, but he prays for the church, and it is a beautiful prayer. And I remind you, you're the church. We are the church. So this is Paul's prayer, not only for the people of Ephesus, but it's the prayer for you and for me today. Verse 17, listen to the words of his prayer. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power? I mean, listen to that message. I pray for you, and I want you to have a spirit of wisdom. Now that Greek word is Sophia. I want you to have this, this wisdom, this understanding, this insight. I, I want you to have this, this incredible wisdom of God and revelation. That's the word apocalypsis. And that's where in the book of Revelation, it's sometimes called the apocalypse or a revealing that, that God reveals himself to you. I, Paul says, I want you to have a revelation. God speaking to you. It's a disclosure. It's, it's an epiphany. God manifesting himself to you, revealing himself to you, having a relationship with you. And he says, and that you come to know him. The word know is the word gnosis, which means to have a full discernment, an acknowledgement, that, that you fully understand who this amazing God is and how he loves you and provides this incredible grace through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul makes it very clear he's praying for the church. He's praying for us to have an epiphany, for you and for me to have our epiphanies. Uh, Eugene Peterson paraphrases the scripture in what's known as the message. And remember, a translation is when you take the Greek to the English or uh, a translation of one language to another. A paraphrase is an in other words. So the message is Eugene Peterson saying, in other words, and kind of giving us a retelling of the scripture, but I love the way Peterson paraphrases this scripture, this prayer in the message. Ephesians 1:17. I ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you 
intelligent, and discerning and knowing Him personally. Your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is He is calling you to do. To grasp the immensity of His glorious way of life He has for Christians. And I ask God to make you intelligent and discerning and knowing Him personally. For us to have our epiphany where God reveals Himself, manifests Himself, makes Himself known to us, and where we enter into this personal relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes when we think about epiphanies, as we've been doing over the last few weeks, we look at the biblical stories of epiphanies and we begin to think again, that's how God acted then. But what does God do now? One of my favorite stories of an epiphany is with John Wesley, who's known as the founder of Methodism or the Wesleyan movement, the Wesleyan theology. You might remember Wesley was from England and he was the son of, of, of a priest in the Church of England. His father, Samuel, was a, a very strong preacher, and his mother, Susanna, was absolutely an amazing woman, and she spent incredible time with each one of her children as a, a Christian mother, raising them in the faith, talking to them about Jesus Christ. He grew up knowing Jesus. He grew up in the faith. He grew up in the church. He, he grew up experiencing all that God was doing through the people of God. Incredibly intelligent, educated at Oxford University. Ordained himself as a priest in the Church of England. Becomes a Lincoln Fellow or a professor at Oxford. An avid student of the Bible. But when you read his journal... When you learn about his life, one of the things you learn about John Wesley is he had this incredible faith in God that was here. It was an intellectual faith. It was a head faith. But it came to reality on a ship coming to the Americas that his faith was in his head and not his heart. When the storm hit the ship and he thought he was going to die, he was amazed that while he was panicking, he could hear singing in the background. A, great, a group of Moravians singing hymns of praise to God. And when the storm was over, he began working with Peter Bowler and other Moravians, and, and they taught him, you need to move your faith from your head to your heart. Then you can sing in the storm. And he realized he had an academic faith, which is important. He studied the Scripture. He knew the Scriptures. But did he really know Jesus Christ? Did he really know Jesus as his personal Savior and Lord? Did he have that kind of confidence? So he wrestled with it for the longest time. As a matter of fact, he even questioned, should I leave the ministry? And, and, and the Moravians convinced him, no, you need to preach until you have faith. And then you preach because you have faith. Then one night, back in England, John Wesley went to a Bible study a Bible study. It was on Aldersgate Street, May the 24th, 1738. Listen to what John Wesley writes in his journal. 
He said, in the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street. And I love that. I actually love that Wesley wrote that down because what he said was, I'm the preacher and I went to a Bible study. Even I didn't really want to go that night. There are times when we may not feel that's where we want to go, but God still leads us there anyway. So he goes to a Bible study anyway on Aldersgate Street where one was reading Martin Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans. It was Martin Luther's notes on the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the church at Rome. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, listen to this, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. John Wesley had an epiphany. The preacher had an epiphany. He was a priest. He was a preacher, teacher, scholar, and God gives him this manifestation where his heart is strangely warmed and he finally realizes, wait a minute, this is not just about for the world. Jesus died for me. He forgave me my sins, even mine. An epiphany, where did it occur? At a Bible study. It reminds me of Jesus walking with the disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24 that we studied together and how our hearts burn within us when he opened to us the scriptures. That God can use the scripture to have an epiphany, to reveal himself to us. And Wesley, Wesley's epiphany was at a Bible study on Aldersgate Street, London. There's another great person that we know much about. Many of us have read his materials. Most of us have heard of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was an incredible writer, incredible scholar, a brilliant person, a literary master. Some of you may have read the, the Chronicles of Narnia or Mere Christianity, Screwtape Letters. There are so many books and writings that he has written. He studied at Oxford, then he taught at Oxford. But for the first 30 years of his life, he didn't believe in Jesus Christ. He didn't believe in God. He was an atheist. He, he had zero faith that a God even existed, much less a faith in Jesus Christ. He had had a difficult life. His mother had died when he was young. But God never gave up on him. Here's this avid scholar, and he has an epiphany through reading and studying, and an epiphany through conversation with Christian friends. As a matter of fact, God just wouldn't let go of him. And it's one of the things he writes about in his book, Surprised by Joy, where he kind of shares his story and how God worked on him and, and led him around. God would not let go. I mean, he, he read authors like Chesterton and uh, George MacDonald. And, and so he writes in Surprise by Joy, he said, In reading Chesterton, as in reading MacDonald, 
I did not know what I was letting myself in for. A young man who wishes to remain a sound atheist cannot be too careful of his reading. There are traps everywhere. Bibles laid open, millions of surprises, as Herbert says, fine nets and stratagems. God is, if I may say it, very unscrupulous. I love the way he writes that. I mean, God just kept speaking to him when he was trying to deny God. It seemed like every time he picked up a book or read, God was speaking to him in some incredible way. And he moves then from being an atheist to a theist. And that means he believes in God. He believes that God exists, but not yet a Christian. Not yet a Christian. But he tells the story of how he finally submits and realizes there is a God. He writes, he said, you must picture me alone in that room at Magdalene, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. I mean, I didn't want to meet God, he said. I, I didn't want to know him. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. Well, he moves to believing in God through study. He would read books and other things, and he felt like God would just kindly, constantly speak to him. You heard him say that every time he took a break from his work, there seemed to be something else God was revealing to him. And then God put in front of him Christian friends. Hugo Dyson and the other one you may be familiar with, J.R.R. Tolkien, the one who wrote The Lord of the Rings. Great Christian friends. And they began to talk to him about their faith and their relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and one night he said they walked and they talked all night, walking and talking about Jesus Christ and their faith. And, and then he writes, he said, I have just passed on from believing in God to definitely believing in Christ and Christianity. My long night talk with Dyson and Tolkien had a great deal to do with it. I mean, God set him up by constantly revealing himself, little epiphanies and things that he would read. But then walking one night a long walk with Christian friends who were willing to explain their faith in Jesus Christ. He moved from believing simply that there's a God to believing in Jesus Christ as his Savior and as his Lord. It was his epiphany. An epiphany through readings of other people and through friends. Friends. Friends who would share their faith in God. Another great epiphany that inspired me not too long ago was the one by Nabil Qureshi. 
And when you read his story, he, he was a devout Muslim who studied the Quran so intently. He wrote this amazing book called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. A devout Muslim encounters Christianity. And when you read this book, it's amazing to see how God was at work. And his epiphany comes once again through a friend. He's in college, Old Dominion University, and God introduces him to a friend. Nabil puts it this way in an interview with Christianity Today. He said, as a freshman at Old Dominion University in Virginia, I was befriended by a sophomore, David Wood. Soon after he extended a helping hand, I found him reading a Bible. Incredulous that someone as clearly intelligent as he would actually read Christian sacred texts, I launched a barrage of apologetic attacks from questioning the reliability of Scripture to denying Jesus' crucifixion, of course, challenging the Trinity and the deity of Christ. David didn't react like other Christians I challenged, he said. He did not waver in his witness, nor did he waver in his friendship with me. Far from it. He became even more engaged, answering the questions he could respond to, investigating the, the questions he couldn't respond to, and spending time with me through it all. You read his story and the seeds are planted. He finds himself kneeling down in Muslim prayer, crying out, Who are you, Lord? Reminds me of Paul crying out, Who are you? And he says that in the summer after graduating from Old Dominion, he said, I began imploring God daily, tell me who you are. If you're Allah, show me how to believe in you. If you're Jesus, tell me whoever you are, I will follow you no matter the cost. One night he was struggling and so he laid out on the table the Quran and the Bible. He picked up the Quran, tried to read it. Nothing spoke to him. He turned to the Bible, he said, and he said, electric. The words leapt off the page and jump-started my heart. I could not put the Bible down. Later, as he's telling of his epiphany, God answering that prayer and revealing himself to him, he said he reached me through investigations, dreams, and visions, and called me to prayer in my suffering. It was there that I found Jesus. To follow Him is worth giving up everything. Epiphanies. God responds and reveals Himself in, in so many different ways, including to a country boy from Iredell County, north of Statesville, up in what we call North Iredell, son of a mechanic from a blue-collar family that loved dearly, and God was able to speak to me. I, I grew up with Jesus. I had an encounter with Jesus all of my life, and God made it known to where I could accept Him as my Savior and Lord. And then one day, God called me to be His minister. See, epiphanies are not just Bible stories. They're meant to be our stories, your stories. 
I mean, God revealed to the wise men that the Christ child is for all people. At a wedding in Cana, he turns water to wine, proving that he has all power and that he wants to be a God in all parts of our lives, not just the break glass in case of an emergency kind of God. Through a burning bush, he reveals to Moses that he is a God who has compassion for his people, hears the cry of his people, and is moved to act and deliver them. He reveals to Saul or Paul in Acts chapter 9 that he is a God of second chances. He didn't remove Saul. He converted him and completed him, redeemed him into one of the great missionary leaders of the church. And he reveals victory over sin and death by teaching the scripture and revealing himself through the breaking of bread to disciples who were dejected and sad and disappointed, disillusioned on a walk to Emmaus or vivid images and revelation that he's a God of hope and victory. He can speak to a preacher's kid, John Wesley, and reveal himself to him with the warming of a heart at a Bible study. He, he can speak to an atheist, C.S. Lewis, and, and reveal himself in little ways to a scholar who's reading and with Christian friends who would walk with him. To a Muslim medical student who was incredibly brilliant and who just could not believe someone would study Christianity and yet through a friend and through study together, he receives Jesus Christ. To a country boy who grew up with a Christian family growing up with Jesus, he reveals himself in many different ways. So how does he reveal himself to you? Or do you have an epiphany story? How has God revealed himself to you? What is, what is your testimony or story? Or maybe you're still searching. And whoever you are and however you may be searching, there's nothing God wants more than to share an epiphany with you. To manifest, a, manifest himself to to make Himself known, to reveal Himself as Lord and Savior to you. Because this God, He so loved you that He would give His only begotten Son for you. If He loves you that much, that means He desperately wants a relationship with you and desires for you to have a relationship with Him so he's revealing himself in many ways if we are watching for it. Epiphanies. God still reveals himself. And God wants to make himself known to you. To have a relationship with you. Will you pray with me? God, we just pray that you will make yourself known to all of us in whatever way it takes for us to see you and to hear a word from you and to have our hearts warmed and our tongues to confess that you are indeed our Savior and our Lord. So God, we pray for each one who is worshiping with us right now 
And God, I pray that you would touch each heart and each life. May they feel your warmth. May they feel your embrace. May they feel your presence. May they know without a shadow of doubt the words of Thomas, you are my Lord and my God. And may you then feel our embrace of you and our relationship with you now and forever. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.